0: To Nothing Never Happens, the Radical Pedagogy Podcast. Today's podcast is on womanist pedagogies. We have with us Dr. Nancy Lynn Westfield, Professor of Religious Education and Director of the Public Theology Initiative at Drew University Theological School in Madison publications include Being Black, Teaching Black, Politics and Pedagogy in Religious Studies. She is a frequent contributor of the Huffington Post and a blogger for the Wabash Center for Teaching and Learning in Theology and Religion. Her upcoming manuscript is entitled, Classroom as Healing Space. With Dr. Westfield is Dr. Lockhart-Gilroy, who is Assistant Professor of Christian Education and a Louisville Postdoctoral Fellow at Drew University Theological School. She teaches courses in Christian Education and Practical Theology. Her upcoming book is entitled, Transforming Cities, Nurturing the Sanctified Imagination of Urban Youth. Welcome Lynn and Annie to Nothing Never Happens. Okay, if we could begin by uh, starting with some of the origins of womanist pedagogies, some of the forebears, the definitions, um, how you came to be involved in womanist pedagogies and why um, you think it is important for your own teaching, your own vocation as teachers.
1: Um, The awareness of womanist pedagogy... um, certainly came to me in reading womanist literature and reading Katie Cannon and reading Jackie Grant and reading uh, Emily Towns. Even though those three people were not pedagogues, the fact that they were writing with womanist intent, with womanist ideologies, with womanist philosophies um, captured my imagination. One of the reasons it captured my imagination is because it resonated with what I knew was my personal black experience in Mm -hmm. the christian church and christian sunday school in the black culture so um as a person who was used to being in a classroom that was not about black things to hear about black things and then to hear about black things Mm -hmm. that were woman things womanly things womanish things um certainly my imagination was captured probably the the first book that I read um, that I can actually say saved my life was Sisters of the Yam by Bell Hooks. Yeah. And I know Bell Hooks um, oftentimes calls herself a black feminist, so I'm not you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> dividing hairs between black feminist and womanist as much as I'm saying when black women write about black women and then another woman reads that, it feels like deep and beautiful water to me. So that experience uh, resonated with me of reading that book encouraged me to read other authors, to find other authors, and then ultimately to become a womanist scholar.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: I was introduced to um, womanist thinking in undergrad. Um, I kind of had to suss it out myself. I was taking an intro to women's studies course. Mm -hmm. And in the syllabus, there weren't any black women or any women of color, right? It was mostly white women in the history of feminism. Yeah. And um, the professor and the women in the class pretty much said to me, well, you know, black women don't write about woman stuff, right, like they write Mm -hmm. about race stuff. So they're focused on being black. They don't talk about their woman identity. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, I I knew no difference. I was like, oh, okay. And then I went to um, one of my mentors, Dr. Dr. Pamela Blake, who was the director of multicultural affairs, and I said, mm-hmm. well, you know, so I, hmm. black women don't write about women's stuff, and she said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, you know, yeah. <laughs> she said, there are many of black feminists yeah. out there, um, so for your final project, don't do any of these options, you need to go to the library, and that is where I discovered Alice Walker's definition
3: mm-hmm.
2: of womanist, and it rang so true to my soul. I had spent so much time in this um, majority white institution learning things that made no sense to me. And that was the first time that I read something that I could recognize, Mm -hmm. something that told me that I did not have to change my way of knowing or change my way of being Mm -hmm. to be a scholar. Mm -hmm. I could be the person my mother raised me to be, Mm -hmm. and I could have the epistemology that my mother had, um, and I could be in this academic space. Um, So I discovered in that library Mm -hmm. uh, Alice Walker's definition and presented it As my final project, I said, I will not do any of these options, I would like to do this. Um, Mm -hmm. The professor was like, oh yes, I've heard of that, great, you can teach me, and (laughs) I'll leave that aside for a moment, because I was like, you're not paying me, I'm paying you, right, but like, you know. um, um, And then from that, um, I discovered, um, from that essay, And from that collection of essays, I discovered the work of Zora Neale Hurston
0: Yeah.
2: and then wrote my senior thesis on Zora Neale Hurston. Mm -hmm. When I read Their Eyes Are Watching God, it was once again um, the the, the resonance for me um, as an English major of Mm -hmm. someone who could write um, in black vernacular and in standard written English, both equally poetic, both equally beautiful, Mm -hmm. both equally valid. And learning more about Zora Neale Hurston um, and Alice Walker at the same time, Mm
3: -hmm. like
2: from that moment on, I was like, I am a womanist.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, what year was this when all this was happening?
2: For me, this was uh, my junior year. So this was 96, 95, 96.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I read Sisters of the Yam, I was born in 1962,
1: I read Sisters of the Yam when I was probably 21 or 22, I can't mm-hmm. remember, before before I immersed myself in graduate school. So sometime in college, mm-hmm. sometimes after college. Um, probably the um, in graduate school, certainly, I immersed myself in womanist literature. Mm-hmm. The definition, though, became alive to me when a womanist panel around 2001 2002 I can't remember the year exactly um, a womanist panel at uh, American Academy of Religion did a session on the definition Mm -hmm. and each of the panelists uh, was asked to reflect on the definition and how the definition was in her own work of Alice Walker's definition yeah Yeah. Um, so the definition was um, something that I had uh, lived with for a long time through writing my dissertation um, But when I was asked to be a part of the panel and write a paper for the panel, I began to think of it not Mm -hmm. as a working definition per se, a scholarly definition, Mm -hmm. but as a piece of poetry. So Mm -hmm. then looking at the relationship of of Alice Walker as a poet who would write this piece of literature, um, it became alive to me again. One of the fascinating things. So now I'm teaching the definition in a womanist class. And each time I um, immerse myself in this piece of literature, it mm-hmm. becomes alive again and fresh mm-hmm. in a new way. That's part of the brilliance to me of it. Yeah. It's like reading sacred texts, right? Mm-hmm. Each time mm-hmm. it, it has a new voice, it has a needed voice, something happens.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, I remember um, one of the points of the paper that I gave on the panel um, was not about a specific part of the definition, but talking about the audacity of a black woman to coin a new phrase, mm. right? Who is this black woman <laughs> yes. who would dare yeah. think a mm. thought and then put a symbol to that thought? So the thought that she was thinking about womanism is not new, right? It's an ancient way to be in the world for, for black women to be in the world. Alice Walker did create, obviously, right? Yeah. But to say there's a term for this, right? That we can gather this, complex notion up into a word, into a symbol.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: so the audacity to name yourself
3: yeah.
1: um is to me still one of the most profound things. So the defi- the individual definition and the individual parts of the definition. But the thought of defining oneself mm-hmm. and yeah. then that definition being noticed for its profound nature by so many African American women scholars um, across the fields is something that mm-hmm. um, again, I resonate with, but i I find my home in, but also I use as a springboard, then you know, continually into my own scholarship that challenges my own
2: thinking,
0: yeah,
2: yeah i I like what you just said, Lynn, about it being poetry, right like that that resonates with me, one of the things that i really liked about that definition partially is that it's long right like there are many moving parts um and then again i mean for that for that young woman that person coming in the annie locker coming into womanhood um trying to figure out who she was Mm -hmm. this these multiple definitions of like there is no one thing You can be many things, right? Like, you know, pick one or two or three Mm -hmm. or write another one, right? Or simultaneously (laughs) be. Yeah, or or be all all of them all at the same time. Be all of them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But there was just such a freedom there. Um, Again, especially being a black body in a majority white space. I mean, very much. Like, it was like 99% white space. There were not many of us, and there were so many People telling me the one way to be black, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like we don't know a lot of black people, but this is this is the type that we know. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And then to see the flourishing mm-hmm.
2: of the many different de- yeah. definitions.
0: Yeah. So Alice Walker set off in searches or Neil Hurston. Yes. That's right. That's that was right. that. That journey keeps exactly. cycling. It absolutely mm-hmm. does. And absolutely. then she's gonna be the keynote at Katie Cannon's Womanist Center. Institute mm-hmm. inauguration yes. in April. Mm-hmm. Some of it all comes coming around, yeah. right? The forebears and mm-hmm. the, and those voices and the wisdom speak. The wi- that, is the yeah, the when, wisdom
1: speaking. The, the wisdom speak by the wisdom kin, mm-hmm. right? So when w- when black women get together and we conjure the ancestors, we conjure the babies yet born, mm-hmm. and we stand in the, that space that that mm-hmm. is conjurable, right? That moment that is conjurable, then it it it's not that so much it cycles around as much as it's present to us that our awareness is raised about all that is with us Mm -hmm. all the time that that um the academy or racist sexist society Mm -hmm. tries to dampen those awarenesses but when we get together with great intent then we see that we're not alone right That Mm -hmm. so i so um Annie's experience of being the only one, right? When she's Mm -hmm. told you're unique, you're special. There's no nothing Mm -hmm. else like you. Mm -hmm. You know, people like you don't we don't don't write. Was simply a lie. But how do you digest the Mm -hmm. lie and still come out as a healthy person? So thank God for the woman who directed her to the library, right, (laughs) to find our literature to save our lives about Mm -hmm. how to be in the world and that we're that we're not in that way peculiar or exotic. We are black women who do what black women have done for mm-hmm. centuries, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. to, and to know that you are a part of a tradition that both is inside you and transcends you at the same time gives you healing, it gives you hope, right? It helps you know you ain't crazy, right? right? You're <laughs> not right? crazy, mm-hmm. that. it's it's okay to be how you are. Mm-hmm. And that the world without how you are would be a world of lacking right the world yeah. needs us as much as we need each other yes
0: and it's about the writers and the scholars but also as you you talk about the ordinary women absolutely the, oh, absolutely. the kitchen table and that's the collective I mean that was part of the
2: aha for me right so I mean so so Alice Walker's in search of Zoe Neale Hurston but also I mean just the title in search of our mother's garden right like that Mm -hmm. that was my mother my grandmother my you know what i mean like being able to claim those spaces the kitchen table the Mm -hmm. card table all of those Mm -hmm. spaces um where i learned how to be as intellectual spaces right yeah um which is not something i had done before you know Mm -hmm. i mean i was the part of the first generation in my family to go to college I was I mean I'm the youngest So both of my brothers went ahead of me Mm -hmm. my parents did not go to college um their their goal was to get us all educated Mm -hmm. right like my my aunt that group did not go but my my generation kind of went but there was this kind of understanding of like you have to be different now um Mm -hmm. and Alice Walker and Zora Neale Hurston told me I did not have to be different I had to be a a better me but a better me not a them
3: Mm
1: -hmm.
2: right (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, again, the, the resonance that happens, the vibration that happens to know that you are a part of, that you belong to, even while you're sitting at your ordinary kitchen table.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So they're not scholars who have separated themselves from community. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the mm-hmm. major points of a woman is you, you deepen yourself in community, you do not separate yourself yeah. from community. Um, and that kind of witness is very powerful. Um, I'm third generation college educated, which is almost an untold story mm-hmm. in, uh, in America. So when yeah. uh, all the HBCUs got started, somebody's grandparents had to be right. in those schools. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my grandparents were in those mm-hmm. schools. So on my mother's side of the family, both of her parents had then from normal schools, had college educations, and they were teachers. Mm. Wow. Um, my mother did not go to college And that's an interesting story. But she certainly married a man. She knew she was going to marry a man who Mm -hmm. had gone to college. Um, So intellect and education for us was a part of our household. Mm -hmm. Um, So Because I'm thinking about, Annie, what you said about the intellectual conversation. We always knew that our kitchen table was the intellectual conversation. Because in my family, you had to be smart.
3: Mm-hmm. Smartness
1: was not an option. Right? <laughs> you had to be smart. You had to read. You had to know what was going on. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't because you were special.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That's because that's what you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You took piano lessons. You you know you went to church on Sunday. That was just part mm-hmm. of part of how we expressed our blackness. And and that's not to say we were better than other people because we weren't. It's just that part of part of survival. Was education, mm-hmm. and with our parents and grandparents making sure we survived, we were educated.
3: Mm-hmm. So we
1: were always surrounded by books. We were always surrounded by black books. But, but I don't. It. I knew when I read Bell Hooks, there was something about a black woman's voice
3: yeah. and
1: prioritizing that voice that was new for me.
3: Mm-hmm. So in
1: my household, as strong as my mother was, my mother was still very much immersed in patriarchy, Mm
3: -hmm. right? My
1: mother still very much would kowtow, though she would circumvent all the male voices, Mm -hmm. right? So womanism has helped me say, you do not have to play that game with, I'm going to make him think he's in charge, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Or the man is that pulled the, pulled the pants in the Christian house. Something about the man's pants in the Christian household. Oh, no. Something about he wears the, the pants. The, the, <laughs> man, <laughs> the, the man is
2: the head, the, the woman is the neck. <laughs> right. Right.
1: So, right. Womanism has, has taught me that that kind of charade is not necessary, mm-hmm, right? That mm-hmm. we do not have to kowtow to that kind of charade. And again, not to, to claim power, not to lord over people, but to claim power to be in partnership with men, to be in collaboration with other women, to be in collaboration with white people. So it's not this power game about who's on the tippy top mm-hmm. as much as it's about yeah. how are we in community together right. for the betterment of all of us.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So I had those experiences. A womanist philosophy mm-hmm. gave me language for those experiences.
2: Yeah. 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 and it's uh, funny I just because Lynn and I have had conversations I can say that Lynn and I our kitchen tables were similar mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but my family would not identify those as intellectual conversations yeah right yeah. they were you know and it was you know it, our, our dinner conversations were about the current events and that's mm-hmm. where I learned about politics and got excited about those things and and you couldn't bring weak arguments to the table, mm-hmm. right. right? Like yeah, they, yeah. that would get it's like no, you get that wouldn't work, you know? It's like mm-hmm. your logic makes no sense, and it's like, but mom, I'm five, all mm-hmm. um, right? <laughs> but it's like you couldn't bring weak argument to the table. I learned my epistemology at that at yeah. that table from my mother but my mother would not call herself an intellectual, Mm -hmm. even though I do. and I I tell her she is, um, she would not call herself an educated person. My family would not call themselves Mm -hmm. educated persons. Um, even though what we practiced was the practice, um, of training scholars, right? Um, Mm -hmm. they did not see themselves that way. And, And part of, you know, my work with my family is like, oh, no, like, I get my intelligence from you, mom. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, I get yeah, I'm, yeah. my epistemology is very much my mother's. Yeah. Right. My teaching style is very much my mother. I say I'm channeling Melanie Lockhart.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. But she would have never named it that way.
0: That's interesting. Um, And I
2: think that for me, reading, I, I, I'm just, I'm placing myself once again in that library, reading this stuff and being so excited, mm-hmm. um, allows me to define it that way. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, and and again, back to the Alice Walker definition, being able to define yourself yes. is an act of power and mm-hmm. empowerment, an act yes. of healing. Yes. So yeah. So to to keep that going, the other thing that happened at our kitchen table, and um, telling us about what was logical, what was not logical, mm-hmm. what was rational, what was weak rationality, right? That's not that's mm-hmm. weak logic. Don't right. we bring that up in here. Was yeah. also telling us what was funny. Mm-hmm. And my kitchen, you had to be funny at my <laughs> yes. <kitchen> table. Yes, <laughs> too. Um, because mm. humor is like one of the highest arts, right? Yeah. So again, we didn't yeah. talk about it in these categories, right? But you knew mm. as a child when you could sit with with a kind of pride when your joke landed well, right? When you're when you got your timing right, you knew the difference between them laughing because oh your joke was cute mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. when you actually were respected. For being able to get your story told, so we, it was a it was a table yes. full of storytelling. It was a table full of joking mm-hmm. and laughter. Mm-hmm. It was a table about current events and laughing at how ridiculous the white people actually were. Um, it was a table also that told you, even if they you thought it was right, if it felt different, you always go with the feeling of your body. Mm. The mm-hmm. body was always a part of how we mm-hmm. understood ourselves to be black, to be women, to be black men and women together.
3: So mm-hmm. body was not
1: a space of shame or disgust.
3: Yeah,
1: It was a yeah. part of the conversation. And one of the reasons it was a part of the conversation was because of its epistemological value. Mm. You knew what you knew because of mm-hmm. what your heart said. You knew when mm-hmm. it was time to run because your gut told you yeah. to run. You knew if that person was not to be trusted because the hair would stand up on the back of your neck. Mm-hmm. And you were not told to ignore your body. You were told to lean in yeah. to what your body was telling you about. I, that's, I, so that part I've come to understand that most people don't have that kind of education, those kinds of mm-hmm. conversations with other people. So um, I remember my mother and my father telling me not ever a sentence of trust your body, right? That sentence mm-hmm. was never said. But modeling and living out that how you felt about things, your your understanding of your connection and the feeling of your connection to God and community
3: mm-hmm.
1: was as important as your mind, as your brain. Yeah. And one was not different from the other, mm. right? And and if you were confused, you always went with your body. Mm. Yeah,
0: so the embodiment of self-worth and power and resistance. And All of that. Community. And. Yep. So... Yep if we can move from that grounding which is powerful and strong to the classroom and your bodies and minds and commitments uh, struggle hope hopes in the classroom as you're um, both when and as you are teacher learners as you know previous students and now as as, um, you know those who are facilitating learning in the classroom where, you know, you bring that in, you embody it, and how does, how do you um, negotiate that in the classroom, and, and why is, you know, this, th- this woman's this wisdom speak and experience um, uh, so important for your own teaching lives? Yeah.
1: What, one of the myths that I find myself with my students debunking all the time, Um, So my students, you know, want to be pastors. Most of them want to be pastors or they want to go on into religious scholarship. Mm -hmm. Um, They have been told uh, the erroneous notion that classrooms are neutral spaces (sighs) and that faculty somehow become blank slate people. Mm -hmm. So that when you step into a classroom, your gender (laughs) doesn't matter, your race doesn't matter, your body type somehow doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. your costuming doesn't matter. Even though, if you would ask them in the moment, are you aware of the faculty person's race, class, and gender while you're gazing upon their body? Are you looking at their clothing? Every student would say yes, but somehow they've said this is a neutral space. Womanist pedagogy says not only isn't it a Mm -hmm. neutral space, but is a highly charged political space because of the body. That when I walk into my racially diverse classrooms, Mm-hmm. in my black woman body, that is something right there, right? Mm-hmm. That, the, that, that, that is something to be reckoned with right there. Mm-hmm. So I have students who are white men who have never had a black woman in authority mm-hmm. over them in the higher education hierarchy. Yeah. They kind of flip out about that. <laughs> I have black mm-hmm. men who come from the deep culture of black church who are mm-hmm. not trying to have a black woman give them a grade. I have black women who are afraid for me. Don't say these things. You'll get in trouble. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You'll get punished for the, oh, doc, don't, Mm -hmm. don't risk these, you know, don't, you know, black people trying to save me from, I don't know what, boogeyman, (laughs) but save me from some kind of boogeyman. Mm -hmm. I've got um, international students who are confused because they're still waiting for the, real faculty person to come, to come in the room mm-hmm. so even in 2017 the black mm-hmm. by bi- the black female body is a disruptive presence in my own yeah. classroom when they know my name is on the syllabus right? my yeah. picture is on the website
3: and, they yeah. don't have to
1: wonder who the faculty person is but the experience of me walking into the classroom is always something that is a thing
0: yeah,
1: yeah. so yeah. some days, I, can, I like that. I can roll with it. Other days, you're like, you have got to be kidding me. How long is patriarchy and racism going to kill <laughs> yes, us in these yes. classrooms? Because we keep tripping over this nonsense.
0: Mm-hmm. And is it also a thing for you, Annie, because of your age? You look Absolutely. so young. Um well, thank you. And it's my birthday. <laughs> um, happy birthday.
2: Um, it is definitely. I mean, I get all of the things that Lynn gets. But I also get... Um, older women at times that are even more about like don't get in trouble mm-hmm. right like no like let me you know like like let me uh uh let me help you out you're, you're a little too radical let me help let me help mainstream yeah. you let me help and I'm yeah. like oh they, many, many they others have tried and failed honey they tone that down. <laughs> yes tone, that, tone down. that down baby and mm-hmm. I was just like yeah mm-hmm. many have tried and failed like that's not gonna work um <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know um so the age, the age thing definitely does, um, come across, mm-hmm. right. Um, especially in, in the theological education where I do have many people who are older than me, um, and sometimes have students that are old enough to like, you know, to be a parent or at least an aunt, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. um, mm-hmm. right. Um, because people come at all different stages of their life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. and also recognizing my own West Indian training that I had to get over. Yeah. Um that you don't tell older people what to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I had to, you know, that was that was my own personal hurdle. Yeah. Um yeah. you know, um and to the point that I still don't call many of the older students by their first name. I just I can't do that, right? Yeah, um yeah. there has to be a miss or a, you know something mm-hmm. in there. Um but recognizing that I can stay true to that um, that home training of mine and still claim my authority mm-hmm. right and I, I yeah. can do both mm-hmm. um, I can I, I can call you you know I can say Miss Nancy mm-hmm. and then still put a C on your paper mm-hmm. you know because you know because I recognize that, that, that we are in complex spaces yeah. um, mm-hmm. and another thing about um, the body that affects my teaching um, is my chronic pain which mm-hmm. which changes how I interact. So not only am I yeah. um, not always standing at a podium because sometimes I have to sit, and sometimes mm-hmm. I have to stand. Sometimes I have to walk and stretch, and you know, and I yes. do what my body needs me to do mm-hmm. <laughs> at the moment. Um, you know, which adds another dimension, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, that that part of the body that that people are not always able to identify, mm-hmm. but affects how you teach. Um, I mean, I wouldn't lecture for three hours anyway, but I can't stand at a podium for three hours and yeah. lecture. Like, that would be extremely painful mm-hmm. for me. Um, so even that affects, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of, kind of how I interact in yeah. the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and also how I think about the bodies in the classroom as well. Mm-hmm. And I do assignments where I have them talk about the, the bodies they bring into a space. Mm-hmm. And how that affects their ability to teach on certain things. Right, um, because we we both look at education from a liberatory perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when we talk about things of racism and sexism, the bodies that these voices are coming out of, those things matter, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And and we are all of these freedom things. These are all embodied identities. Yeah. So I always mm-hmm. talk about an embodied the importance of an embodied theology and an embodied pedagogy and recognizing the body that you in that you're in and the the um the privileges and the challenges that come with that when we talk to particular mm-hmm. populations about particular
0: things yeah yeah bodies that matter bodies that matter
1: and what body has the authority to set yes. to set the um to set the place of what pedagogy is real right mm-hmm. a lot of it has to do with what reality is actually real So one of the um, over the years that I've taught at Drew, Introduction to Educational Ministries, Annie uh, last fall Mm -hmm. co-taught that class. But one of the ongoing to me disturbing questions as I'm teaching from a womanist perspective in intro class. So I don't I don't wait to introduce womanist pedagogies in the Mm -hmm. seminar classes or some. I don't do like the regular stuff in intro. and yeah. then the womanist stuff if you take yeah. a seminar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I teach from a liberative perspective all the time, Good. particularly yeah. in introduction in the introductory mm-hmm. course. Um, and one of the disturbing questions to me by mid or late semester, usually from a person from the majority culture will be, okay, you've taught us this stuff about freedom, when do we get to the other stuff? Right? When do we get to the regular mm-hmm. stuff? And mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, yeah. this is the regular stuff. <laughs> this is the real stuff. Yeah. This is what, yeah. well, when are we going to talk about Sunday school? I am talking about Sunday school. Mm-hmm. No, no, when are you going to, for us, for us white people. Yeah. Yes. When do we get to the <laughs> agendas of white people? I am talking about the agendas of white people. Because see, liberate you're supposed to be a partner, an ally yeah. in liberation. As a Christian minister, liberation is not just for the oppressed. It is also lessons for the oppressive. So then I kind of scratch my head and go, this is why I teach, because it's Mm -hmm. hard, it's hard going, it's very hard going.